Baby Dedication Sunday, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there if you can, if you have your Bibles. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help, and we're going to trust that God's going to give it. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, uh, we ask that you would give us wisdom and clarity. At times in our life before, we felt like, unless I'm the only one, I felt kind of like a hamster running on a wheel. Doing a lot of work, getting nowhere. And with parenting and even grandparenting, sometimes it can feel like we're doing a lot. But then the years go by and the decades go by and the decades after that go by and we look back and think, where in the world? What, what happened? And help us to not be purposeless or aimless with our parenting and grandparenting. Help us to know what you have called us to with clarity and help us live with precision and aim. Help us to know, okay, what are some goals here? As we're trying to raise these kids in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, how are we supposed to do this thing? And God, we know that not every I is going to be dotted, not every T is going to be crossed. There's not every question about parenting that's going to be able to come up. But God, give us wisdom. We trust that you're going to give us wisdom as we do this thing. Give us direction. And as we look at what is the purpose or the goal of parenting and grandparenting out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Just give us clarity. Help me as I preach. God, I trust that you're going to work. Holy Spirit, move in power this morning. We're going to get to the good news of the gospel here in a little bit, and it's going to be explosively awesome. Help it be explosively awesome in the lives of our children at such an early age. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what is, uh, what, what's parenting really all about? I mean, what, what, what's the goal of doing what we are doing as parents? Is it creating the best opportunities for them to live a better life than you have? Is that the ultimate goal? There's some nobility in that. But is that the ultimate goal of parenting? How about this? Getting them the best education possible. Is that the ultimate goal or aim? There is nobility in that. But is there any greater purpose? How about this? Helping them be the best athlete that they can be. There is lesser nobility in that, but there is some there to find. What's interesting is that so many parents get sucked into the wormhole of sports and it begins to dominate their lives. What is the goal? What is the goal? Do we have direction here? Do we have priorities here? Do we know what, how we're going to make our schedule this week and the next week after that? And this year, what's the priority for our lives this week? Without a plan, busyness, and mere survival will literally take over the decades. Not the week, decades. Busyness, and just trying to survive, keeping your head above water, will be your life. Without clarity on parenting, it's like busyness grows eyes and grows bodybuilder type muscles and gets big and bigger and bigger and bigger and it takes over and it just eats you alive. Busyness, this thing, busyness. What, what, is anybody busy in here? Let's just be honest. You feel like that's your life? Does anybody just complain all the time about having too much time on your hands? Anybody in here, that person? 
I just have so much time, I don't know what to do with all my time. I have enough time to do everything I want to do and more. Okay, nobody's like that. Everybody thinks they're busy. And in fact, everybody is busy. Does it have to be that way? Can it be a little bit better? Can we prioritize and push some things out? What is the point? Deuteronomy 6 has some clarity for us. It gives us some direction. What is the goal of parenting and grandparenting? Look at verse 1 through 3 in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statute and the rules, statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey." Now just before chapter 6, we got, 6 minus 1 is 5, it's chapter 5 where we get the Ten Commandments. Moses laid out the Ten Commandments in chapter 5 and that was a part of the moral law and the civil law of Israel. It was a part of the moral law that's binding still to this day. It's still against God's moral law to lie or to steal or to kill. Covetousness is still a moral law binding upon us all. And as the covetous nature within us before we know Christ and then even after Christ rises up still in us is wrong according to God's law. Ten Commandments are binding on humanity and for the good of humanity. It is better to tell the truth than to lie. It's better to obey your parents than to disobey your parents. It's better to not kill than to kill. It's better to not steal than to steal. It's better for you to live that way. And in this passage, Moses is commanded to give God's people God's law. Give them the law. And that law is intended for the children and grandchildren. It's a multi-generational vision for existence as the people of God in the Old Testament. There is a multi-generational view of life. In so many ways, this has escaped us today. We think about mine and getting mine now. We don't think multi-generationally. We don't think inheritances anymore. We don't think about our grandchildren as much as generations previous did. Generations previous would get land, get property, and think, okay, is this going to be land for my great-great-great-grandchildren? Will it be good for them? And anymore today, we just think about, how can I survive this week? Generations before thought multi-generationally. That's how the people of God were, at least were supposed to be in the Old Testament. Do these things, do these commandments, and it will go well with you, Moses tells Israel. And this is to be for their children and for their grandchildren. So we see these two generations, parenting, grandparenting. And we want these things. And I've heard that grandparenting is even a whole lot more fun than parenting. Right, grandparents? we got some testimony testify in here? So every grand, grandma specifically, grand, grandpa too, but grandma says it's great because we can do whatever we want, get them hyped up, give them candy, and send them home to you and go to bed. Amen. You hear that? Kind of makes me think, hey, man, my goodness, this, I mean, I'm enjoying parenting. There's a lot of great life ahead of me. 
Do these and it will go well with you. So, okay, what are these? Let's get a little bit more clarity here, here Moses. What are these laws? Okay, the Ten Commandments were just laid out. But what, what, what's the heart of the matter? What, what else? What else are we supposed to do here? Look in verse 4 through 7. We get what is called the Shema, which is still prayed by Jewish people today. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. They would pray, a Jewish person would pray, and they would sit down, the Lord our God is one. One, and that we should, according to Moses' command to God's people, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and with your might. Love the Lord. This is a commandment that speaks to not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Michael Kelly is going to be coming and preaching again at the Christ Church Conference, but he gave a really good illustration about the spirit of the law that Jesus came and talked about. He fulfilled every letter of the law, dotted every I, crossed every T, did everything perfectly externally, and he did everything perfectly internally. Right motives. He did everything on the outside and everything on the inside that he was supposed to do. And already in the Old Testament, you get this word love. Okay, it's not, it's not good enough just to do the commandments. You are called to love the Lord your God. Now, there's a difference between eating food and loving food. And I'm going to steal Michael Kelly's analogy just to the T. His kids don't like asparagus. Imagine that. Okay? Don't like asparagus. I'm just now, Tyler Ramsey can cook some mean asparagus on the grill. And I can tolerate his, and Jordan's got some good asparagus, too. I can, I can tolerate Jordan's, too. <laughs> uh, but you eat that asparagus, and you give it to a kid, and the kid's like, give me some puffs or something. You know, I don't want asparagus. You know, I'll take some donuts, or I'll take some Cheerios, but not asparagus. But if you're, if you're wanting to do battle with your kid, and if you're wanting to make a point, well, you're going to sit here until you eat that asparagus, son. You're just going to sit here. And, you can get a pillow if you want, but you're not getting up from this table until you eat that asparagus. And if you can make that point, you can get your kid eventually, it may take 24 to 48 hours, but eventually you can get your kid to eat asparagus, to do what you're telling your kid to do. But if you say, now son, I want you to love the asparagus. Now you're talking about a command that's a whole nother level. It's not just get the asparagus down into your belly, it's enjoy this asparagus. And that's a difficulty. Even in the Old Testament, we get this command about love. Love. The Lord your God. This isn't just about doing things externally. Even in the Old Testament, there's a call to the spirit of the law. You're not just supposed to do this thing. You're supposed to do this thing the right way, with right and proper affection. It's not just enough to obey. Why you obey also matters. Love the Lord your God. Keep this in your heart. Keep this in your heart, it says in verse 6. And then... Moses tells the people of God, teach them diligently to your children. How are we to teach our children to love the Lord their God? How are we to teach them the Ten Commandments? How are we to teach them the law of God and the love of God? Well, he tells us a little bit about how it looks like practically. He said, teach them these things when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, 
when you lie down for bed, and when you wake up in the morning. In other words, in all of your life, Israel was to be teaching their children by talking about the law of God in every aspect of their life. This is a worldview type of thing. They were to teach God's law to their children and how it applies to everything that they're doing. Everything is connected to what God has to say. Nothing is disconnected here. God has authority over our lives, kids, and we need to know that. And He has things to say, and it has bearing on how we live our life when we lie down in the, mor- in the night, and then we wake up in the morning. This day belongs bookended by giving it to the Lord, morning and night, and then everything in between as you walk on the way. It's all God's. And so we are to teach our children this all comprehensive, the people of God were to teach their kids a comprehensive view about how life works according to God. In verse 8 and 9, we're told it's like it's a lens for us. Israel was to teach their children and their grandchildren and kind of give them in their teaching a lens by which they see the world. If they'll have this lens, they'll see the world differently than how the people in Canaan saw the world. They'll see the world differently than how the Egyptians see the world. They'll see the world differently than how the Babylonians and the one-day Persians will see the world. They'll see the world differently than how the United States of America sees the world. And how Russia of today sees the world. They'll see the world differently than non-believers will see the world. We see this in verse 8 and 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, there are literal and metaphoric purposes to verse 8 and 9. The Pharisees were well known for taking every... They were literalists. I mean, they just took everything literal. Literal, 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 literal. The problem is, a metaphor is literally a lie. Think about that. When it comes to the Scriptures, you have to understand not just exactly what the words are saying, but also you have to see the intent behind it. This says, as frontlets between your eyes. And what the Pharisees would do is, instead of seeing the, the point about verse 8 and 9, they would literally put uh, these little law, like, like binded up cloth in front of them with the law of God in front of their eyes. So they would walk around during the day, all day long, and have these little phylacteries, or whatever they were called, right in front of their eyes. So they would walk around with the law of God literally in front of their eyes. And then they would write above the doorpost. Okay, so when you leave and you come into the house, and there is some literal meaning about this, but the point that is beyond the point, the big point is this. You need to have God's law on your hand and on your eyes when you're putting your hand to the plow. When you're going to the marketplace, you should be seeing the marketplace in a different way that non-believers see The marketplace. On the doorpost of your house, when you go in and outside of your house, you're coming and going in a different way than the non-believing world is coming and going. On the gates, when you are leaving your property, you're leaving out with a different mission than those who don't know God leave their property with. 
They are to teach, in other words, worldview to their children. This is comprehensive. As you sit, as you lie down, as you go to work, as you come home, as you leave the gates, in front of your eyes, the way you see, the way your hands, and you put those hands to the plow, all of life is God's. And you need to teach your kids as much. Everything is connected. This is about worldview. Two plus two is four because God made an orderly universe with fixed laws. A non-believer can affirm two plus two equals four, but without knowing exactly why, we know why. Because this universe has been ordered by God with fixed law. There is wonder for the believer if the believer will see it in the math equation two plus two equals four. God's there. God is in history. When you go to see the movie Dunkirk, and they leave out everything that's there, even historically, God was a part of Dunkirk. When you read the history books, God is there. That's why our, our worldview, we see there's wonder there. This is, not just, this is not just physical. This is not just blood and bone. This is God being at work in our world and as we train our children, we need to train them to see that math is not just math. Math is about worship and wonder. Work is not just work. We are to work as unto the Lord. That's how their children were to work. They were to go and do their work as if they were working to the Lord, not just for themselves. Well, I don't feel like working today. So? It doesn't bring me pleasure today, Dad. So? Work as unto the Lord, not for your pleasure today. Work is not just work. Work is worship. They were, wor they were to work. They were to teach their kids about work, about play, and about rest. These are gifts from God that are included in what verse 4 through 9 is talking about. This is a whole new way of seeing life. Play is not just play. Rest is not just rest. We get to rest because God established rest for us. And if you don't take a day of specific rest in your life, you are missing a lot of pleasure for yourself. Play and rest, it's not just play and rest. These are gifts from the Lord. If God's people were to be a blessing to the nations, they must love God's law and live differently than the nations. Like, think about this. I heard a guy talk about sea otters one time. Sea otters, do you know that they enjoy playing? They make water slides for themselves. We'll actually go down water slides. There's a video I saw of a dog uh, this week. Some maybe Carol Perry may have shared this. I think where there was a dog that pulled a sled up the hill, and like went down the sled, and then pulled the sled back up the hill, and sled down the hill. Okay, that's cute. But for the Christian, it's telling us something about God. God had the creativity. To make an animal that can know how to sled, and if he's that playful that he made animals that know how to play, what kind of God is this? He is a God of wrath, and he is a God of love, and he's a God of play. These things, we see the world, there's wonder for us. And so God's people were to teach their children, and it was to go down to their grandchildren. It's just like it's in front of your eyes here. See things differently. The land of Canaan, 
They don't have God's law on their eyes, but you do. But verse 10 through 12 gives us a warning. Give God's people a warning and it gives us a warning. Through 10 through 12, it's amazing and it's telling. Look at it with me. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Blessings attached to this obedience to God. And then Moses is going to tell them, you're, you're going to get some things here. God's going to give us some things that we didn't work for, that we didn't earn, that we couldn't get on our own. He's going to, give, he's going to be gracious to us. You see, we were in slavery. And we didn't get ourselves out. God rescued us. And take care, when you get in those furnished houses that, that God's going to give you, and when you get those vineyards that aren't just small, they're grown and they're huge. When you get those olive trees that aren't just saplings, and they're big and they're producing wonderful olives. When you get houses that are fully furnished, fully furnished houses. Houses, you're going to walk into these cities, I'm gonna, God's going to give them to you, and you're going to walk in, they're going to be yours, and you're going to have couches from Pier 1 Imports already in there. The decor is going to be on the wall. You may have to change some pictures, but you're going to walk into the furnished houses. They're going to be yours. God will give you this land. Cisterns that you don't have to go out and dig with rudimentary tools. The work's been done for you, Israel, and you're going to get these things. But take heart, when you're sitting in that furnished home, when you're eating your fill in your belly, when you're comfortable and when you're at ease, take heart, because comfort can be dangerous. Take heart, lest you forget the work of God. Take heart, lest you forget the work of God. Now, what's the connection here with parenting, grandparenting, training to our children, and the next generation after our children? Don't forget God's grace. Don't forget God's grace. When you enjoy all of that, all that God's going to give you, Make sure you don't forget about God. God's people have always struggled to remember the work of God because there is this bending inside of us. Even now, as God's people in this new covenant with the Spirit of God within us, we have a way of obsessing over what we do and do not do. God's people have always drifted to thinking about their works and their way and what they want. And they became obsessed. Later on, we find out in the narrative of Israel with their work and their comfort, and they sadly did forget about God. Instead of forgetting Moses, it's like he's pleading as he's speaking prophetically, pleading with them, don't forget God. Don't forget about what God has done. Instead of forgetting about God, how about we obey God? Novel idea. Look at verse 13. It is the Lord, your God, that you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in the midst, it is, 
in your midst is a jealous God. Lest you anger the Lord your God be kindled against you and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and statutes which He commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all of your enemies before you as the Lord promised So there's this juxtaposition between two ideas. Instead of forgetting the Lord, obey the Lord. Instead of eating your fill and enjoying the comfort and ease of life, be warned, there's a better way. Honor God, obey God, trust God. Instead of forgetting the Lord, fear the Lord. Serve Him loyally. Go after no other gods around you. There's going to be false gods around you, Israel, and be warned. You'll be tempted to go after them. Don't go after them. Today, self is the god of our day. I've talked about it a bunch. Self is the god of our day in this country. According to any book on the self, basically, that's published today, you can do for yourself what the Bible says only God can do for you. Love yourself, care for yourself, give yourself grace, forgive yourself. Self-care, I got this. And there's elements of the Christian version of that. We should take care of our bodies. We should, yes, we should accept God's forgiveness for us. But that's not the narrative that's being sold in the self-world today. Live your truth. It's about you. Self is the God of our day. And as a sidebar, there's something horrific happening in our country. Because self is the God of the day, bills like the bill that was passed in New York City, the horrific, infocide bill, that bill is fueled by the self, the God of self. Sadly, people who claim to be evangelical in our country have bought it hook, line, and sinker. So many that oppose this bill right now will be there. It's just a matter of the idol of self that they've bought into. It's just a matter of a few years and they'll get there. Some women want for themselves what they want for themselves and what some foolish, passive men want for the women that they impregnate. What they want for themselves is so valuable that they would celebrate, literally clap their hands and dance a jig at killing a baby in the womb. And God is jealous for His people. Don't go after the gods of the peoples around you, verse 14, because God is a jealous God. He's jealous over that which is His own. As every husband in this room is jealous of his wife and of his children. And you should be. If there's a man giving attention to your wife, you should walk over there anywhere they are and step in between them and say, she's mine. And I love her. And I'm jealous of her attention. I'm not talking about fearful, whiny, 
complainy jealousy. Hey, that guy looked at you. I'm not talking about small, weak-kneed men who are scared because their wife had a conversation with somebody. But you should be jealous over her affections. And God is jealous over His children's affections. It is a big deal. Do what's right that things may go well with you. Don't put God to the test. Keep His commandments. And God's people, they were supposed to live differently than these nations. They were to stand out and to be a blessing for them. And if they would just obey God, then the natural response, if they would just obey God, if they would take God's law seriously, then the natural response from God's people, from them, would happen in verse 20. There would be kids. If God's people, if these adult people within Israel would take this seriously, the kids would begin to wonder, why are we living differently than everybody else? Why are we doing things differently? Eventually, the kids would be old enough to ask, why do we live this way? Why do we believe this book? Why? Why? Why are you telling me these things, mom and dad? What's the big deal with God's law? And that's what we see in verse 20. The thing that happens in verse 20 is that exact thing. Look at it, verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and of the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you. What's the meaning? What is this meaning? There's going to be a time if we live differently than the world. There'll be a time, and this is the same thing with Israel, that our kids will begin to take notice. We don't do the same things that they do. We don't. There's something going on here. Mom, Dad, why won't you let me do this? Why can't I talk this way and live this way? When instruction comes, what, why? Why can't I go there? Why can't I see that? There'll be a time when a kid, and parents, you know, there's a time, if you have older kids, that the kids begin to ask, you serious? I can't go to that? And you kind of buck up. Yeah, I'm serious. You can't go to that. Your son will ask you, time to come. Well, well what? What are we supposed to respond? How are God's people? How is Israel supposed to respond? Here's what they were supposed to say. Then you shall say to your son, Son, we were Pharaoh's slaves. And we were in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Took us out of there. With a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and he did great and grievous They were great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and against his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Why do we do this? Why do we, okay, why do we care about God's law? Son, we care about God's law because we care about God. Because God. What about God? That question needs to be asked more often. What does God have to say? What does God have to think? As we banter back and forth and 
Humanity in this world echoes back and forth against itself, talking about itself, trying to fix itself, and coming up with new policies and programs to fix the problems in this world. And instead of repenting and believing in Jesus and moving from death to life, there's programs and programs and debate and dialogue. How are we going to fix the problems of this world? Spiritually dead people can't fix spiritually dead people. But of course, the world doesn't see things the way we do. We have some things in front of our eyes and some things hanging from our hands. Tell your kid, tell your son, God brought us out with His powerful, mighty hand. Egypt thought it was big. Egypt thought it was strong. Pharaoh thought he was God. God showed him otherwise. God brought us out. He showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh. It was before our very eyes. He brought us out of there. So he could bring us into a new land. He didn't just bring us out to just bring us out just for the sake of bringing us out. He'd bring us out and he gave us something. He brought us out to something, away from something and towards something. And he's the one who commanded us to do these things. And so if God says it, we're going to obey. And these things are for our good. But in verse 25, we see the perpetual problem. And we see this. All of this was for Israel. All of this was for them. Do this. Obey. Things will go well. Generation after generation will be a blessing to the nations. Do this and it will go well. Look at verse 25. And we, we, we run smack dab into a brick wall. We're faced with a problem. They were faced with a problem. Verse 24. Or 25, excuse me. Verse 25. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He commanded us. It will be righteousness if we can do these things. And here we are faced with a problem. The testimony of Israel. And the pages of the Old Testament tell us not about Israel's faithfulness to God, but about God's faithfulness to Israel. And for all their confessions, for all their Declarations. We will obey. God, we'll follow you. We will keep your law front and center. We will do it. And we'll teach our kids, and our kids will do it, and their kids will do it. We will do this thing. They didn't do it. There's a problem. If we're careful to do all the commandment before the Lord our God, it will be righteousness for us. Righteousness is elusive within the law. Israel never fully obeyed the Lord their God according to the letter or the spirit of the law. What does this all mean for us today? What does this all mean for us today? I promised a gospel explosion and here it comes, folks. Here it comes. Faith often comes before perfect understanding. We're looking for this in Ransom right now. There's so many things he doesn't understand and he's confused about. When God drops faith in him, that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for perfect understanding. You know nobody in here has been saved by their understanding. And anybody who is converted is converted because Jesus saved them. Not because we understood everything perfectly. Parents then, today, how do we respond to passages like this? Let me just say this. We are to teach them 
the commandments in all of life. Teach them right and wrong. God calls us to obey Him. Mom and Dad, Grandma and Grandpa, teach your children to obey God. You say, well, they don't know Him yet. They need to know God's law. Yes, they need to go to know God's law first. They need to know God's law. Teach them about honesty. Every child needs to know about honesty because kids, as you were, are all born liars. Tell them the truth. God does not lie, and therefore we should not lie. Discipline them toward the right things and away from the wrong things. Teach them about work. We are to work as unto the Lord. Teach them about rest. God has woven rest into our life. So model being able to rest for your children so they don't live lives of chaos the rest of their life. Teach them about play. God rested after He created this playful and dynamic world. God has given us the ability to play. He made rocks to climb and waves that can be ridden. He gave us horses that we can ride on and trails we can walk. He gave us sunsets to stare at and sunrises to watch as we sip on our coffee. And oh, by the way, He gave us that as well. The stars speak to the glory of God. The aurora borealis was God's idea. The seasons... The leaves that change, not because the temperature in the air, but the chlorophyll from the sunlight. Thank you, Dennis, for telling me that. These were God's ideas. Teach our children to raise up and wonder and see the way the world the way nobody else sees the world. Tell us to teach them to know about God and how God created all of these things. And then when our children ask, hey, why don't we do this? Or why do we do this? Nobody else does this. We have some things to tell them. We have some things to tell them to answer back. Son, I was lost. And I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And I was trapped by an enemy much greater than Egypt. I couldn't get myself out. In fact, I learned to love Egypt. I didn't even know I was supposed to get out. It was just the way I lived. I became an Egyptian. And son, even though I grew up in the church, even though I grew up with two parents who loved Jesus, I was lost. I was dead. But Ransom, I want you to know, Jesus saved me. And He forgave my sins. He was precious to me when I was impatient. And even after I became a believer, He was gracious to me. Son, I want you to know that Jesus did what Israel failed to do. He accomplished what you and I can never do. He obeyed every bit of God's law and He died on the cross for lawbreakers like me so that we could be forgiven and we could inherit not just land but the entire earth. That I could be counted righteous. That righteousness could be mine now. And son, I want you to know that when I'm at my worst, 
when I'm failing as a dad, when I spank you too hard, or I'm not kind or gracious to you, I'm so sorry. And son, I want you to know that if you become a Christian in Christ, we do these things because when we're at our worst, God still sees us as if we are at our best. God sees Christ in us and He forgives us. Son, my sins are forgiven. My shame is taken away. My heart has been made new and been captured by God's grace. God has been so gracious to me in Christ. How could I not obey Him and teach you about such things? So our kids need to know the law first. Our kids need to know they are sinners and do not withhold that grace to them. Our kids are not born innocent. And they don't act innocent. They act according to their nature. They need to be saved. They need to be set free. They need to be found because they're lost. They need to be brought to life because they're spiritually dead. They lie because they're liars. And one of the greatest gifts we can do to them is show them their brokenness and show them their need by teaching them God's law and making them feel, if the Holy Spirit comes, they feel uncomfortable for breaking God's law. We need to teach them that. And God's grace is upon them. Maybe someday I'll do a sermon on Age of of Accountability, which I believe in, by the way, caveat, in Romans 1. But our kids need to know that they don't come out of the womb Christians, that they must be born again. They need to know they can't do God's law. They need to feel the shame of not being able to live up to what God demands. The world will say, and sadly some Christians will say, God doesn't demand perfection, He demands commitment. That is a lie. He demands perfection. Not commitment. This world is full of committed people that are going straight to hell. He demands perfection. And when they cry out, what is the meaning of this? Hey buddy, let me tell you about Jesus again. Let me tell you about Jesus again. You know how we always talk about Jesus and Him dying on the cross for sinners? Hey buddy, Jesus forgives all of our sins. And that feeling that you feel, bring that to Jesus. Ask Him to forgive your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Son, come to Him and He will have you. Take them to the cross. Cross. Faith comes first, not understanding. Faith first, then understanding grows. We look for faith, not perfect understanding. Friends, perfection is found in Christ. That's what you need. And nowhere else. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy that's upon us. Help us with, this, with our kids and with grandkids. Help us to know that the aim is to raise them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Help us to teach them Your law and teach them Your gospel. Help them be amazed by the grace of God. If they don't know Your law, they can never be amazed by Your grace. If there's a believer in here who doesn't know the depth of their sin, they'll never know the depth of your grace. Ever. Grace is unearned. It doesn't come our way because we deserve it. That's why it's amazing. God, help us. God, parents in the room, grandparents in the room, God, help us. God, help us to trust you in this thing. Help us not put the burden of being a perfect parent or being a perfect grandparent on our shoulders. Help us to trust you with these children, with our kids. We need you. Help us not to trust ourselves with our kids more than we trust you with our kids. 
Thank you for your grace. It's going to be our joy to sing about it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.